Hello, everyone, and welcome to another almost holiday edition of the Celtics Lab podcast. I am your host for today, Alex Goldberg. Cam, our usual host, is currently locked in a heated battle with Xfinity and will not be joining us. But that is okay. We are, as always, joined by Dr. Justin Quinn and special guest Jeff Zilgit. Jeff of USA Today. Jeff, how are you first? Yeah, look, I, I'm uh, visiting family in Michigan. We are uh, sub-zero temperature here today. I know you guys are used to some cold weather, but uh, as I was telling Justin earlier today, I think uh, this is the first time my car is registered below zero uh, <laughs> on its temperature. So, Yeah, I grew up in Connecticut, so I'm, I'm used to those kinds of winters, but here in Mexico City now, when it drops below 50, I'm like bundling up, so I can't even imagine what <laughs> you're going through right now. <laughs> Well, look, even where I live in Northern Virginia, uh, we get some cold temperatures, um, but man, n- nothing like this. Uh, it, you know, I don't have to go this far uh, into the cold weather gear, uh, even in Northern Virginia. Well, good luck to everyone out there, including you, Jeff, who is being affected by the nationwide cold snap. It seems like it's getting pretty crazy out there. So stay safe, stay warm, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, here in Boston, it's actually a pretty balmy 50 degrees. It's very windy and rainy and gross outside, but it's it's relatively nice. Um, and, you know, it's it's pretty balmy. It's pretty temperate. Uh, and the But the weather is still chaotic. I think something that kind of reflects the state that the Boston Celtics have been in for <laughs> yeah. these past five games or so. Obviously, they have another game coming up tonight against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And what uh, I think myself and many other Celtics fans are hoping is going to be a kind of get right game for them ahead of their big Christmas Day matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks. We are going to get into that in just a little bit later in the pod. But first, we are going to talk about the news of the day. Uh, And the biggest NBA news of the day that I can think of, Justin and Jeff, is that the all-star ballot voting is in. Uh, for the current time, we are able to, as fans, vote for the starting five for the West and East All-Star rosters. And then, of course, those 10 players will be thrown into a pool and picked from whoever is captaining those rosters in the pickup style uh, that has been working pretty well for the All-Star game lately. Um So, Jeff, I'm going to swing it to you first. Um, Here in Boston, we have a couple of players that are under all-star consideration, Uh, most notably the two superstar wings, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Are both of these guys a lock for you in your Eastern Conference all-stars? For all-stars, they are a lock. If we want to drill down just a little deeper, do we want to talk all-star starters, which the fans vote for? And there's where I think things get tricky and while I think, and look, you, you, we can all argue about who we think is having a better year, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, that kind of thing. But but the thing I would be concerned with is fan voting. Um, hmm. I, you know, I, I've, I've looked at it a little bit. Um, do I think, like, if I'm doing the voting and, you know, sometimes they do give media uh, a, or they give me a vote as part of the media that gets a, a small percentage of the all-star starter vote, but certainly the fans get the heavy weighted vote um, in this. And so we're going to look at it. The, the three, I think that should start Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant in the, in the front court. Um, I, I think we're going to run into the, the fourth guy we're talking about is where does Joel Embiid fit in there? And, and I think, I don't know how closely, you know, people look at this kind of stuff and weigh it, you know, Embiid has played in fewer games, um, not, not by a ton, but, you know, he certainly has not played in 80%, 90% of games. I think he's a little closer to about 70% of games. And, and so that would be, you know, as a voter, that's how I would look at it. And in the backcourt, you know, I, I think the two best. And again, I know these whole position things get really weird. Uh, if, if I'm going to look at time of possession, you know, th- does Jalen Brown as a guard really handle the ball that much more than Jason Tatum as a forward or Kevin Durant as a forward? I, I, you know, I, I know there needs to be some parameters for position, uh, but look, there are so many times where you see these guys and it's Tatum, you know, running what we consider point. It's Jalen Brown doing it. It's Kevin Durant doing it. And, you know, so there's my, my long winded view of thinking that the starters, Giannis, Tatum, Durant, Jalen, 
Donovan Mitchell with Joel Embiid probably not getting the starting nod uh, based on games played. But uh, again, it's really hard to look at Embiid's numbers, um, and, and especially the Sixers starting to play um, a, a little bit better. Um, and you know, look at it across the board and say, man, he he is having an All Star starter kind of year. With that said, the coaches recognize this when they go to name the reserves. And so Embiid will, if he's not part of that starting five, um, he will end up being an all-star. There's no doubt about that. JQ, anything to add there? Uh, With the Sixers trending up, I do think that there's a good chance that I will care less, as Jeff does, about the the, the game's missed aspect. For now, it's a pretty big chunk of the season, but, you know, by the time we get closer to the votes being settled, he could conceivably, like, force his way into the starters. Uh, if he keeps playing, yeah. he does, and someone else gets hurt. Yeah. Uh, and and look, go yeah, ahead, go, ahead, go ahead, Alex. No, go ahead. Well, I think it's a possibility that Joel Embiid could force his way into the starters, but it does seem to me that if we're just looking at, like, who is kind of getting notoriety, particularly in the MVP race, Jason Tatum and Giannis, I think, pretty much have to be locks in that starting front court. So what it really comes down to is, are, are you picking between Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant? And Kevin Durant has been on an absolute tear for the past <laughs> month or so. And the Nets have been kind of st- steadily moving up the standings as a result. Uh, they are now in front of the 76ers by a game, a uh, full game. Um, I do think that is going to matter. And the fact that Durant has not missed any time, any substantial time and carried the Nets through an extremely rocky start to the season, whereas indeed has missed some time. I do think ultimately that's probably rationale for putting Durant in that front court spot, in that final third front court spot. So I, I think I agree with both of you. Um, I actually am not so sure about the backcourt, though, which I think might be a little bit more up for grabs, particularly because um, there's just a lot of candidates who are having pretty similar statistical seasons and output for their team. So Jalen Brown is one name that's been in consideration. Uh, Donovan Mitchell will obviously be another. And I think it's reasonable to think that both of those guys could wind up in the starting lineup. Um, But there's another guy that uh, the Boston Celtics should be pretty familiar with as of the other night. And that's Tyrese Halliburton, who I have as my fifth starter over Donovan Mitchell for the all-star spot. What do we think about the possibility of a kind of unexpected name like Halliburton or maybe even a Jalen Brunson cracking into that guard rotation. Yeah. So I think those will be two guys that I I think will end up probably as reserves. And and again, and this is a, I I enjoy this conversation because of this very point is you have to look at, you know, you have to take in consideration, you know, how fans are going to vote. And in, and so I tend to lean when it comes to this particular discussion, toward you know and not necessarily whether i believe someone is having a better season uh, than another player but where's name recognition in terms of the fan vote and, and that's what uh, i dig into and also I, I take a look at uh you know how the players decide um you know i think what what is it it's 50 percent fan 25 percent media 25 percent players and, and i think if you're looking at also the player vote you know they're going to lean towards a little bit more uh, of the guy they're you know, and not, obviously they're all familiar with Tyrese Halliburton. No, let's not, uh, you know, kid ourselves. But I, I think they're going to look at more of an, you know, okay, Donovan's been around a little bit longer. Um, Jalen certainly has, and we're recognizing what kind of season he has. Um, but certainly I appreciate what Halliburton is doing. And I think the coaches, by and large, and, you know, he, here's my argument. Would I maybe love to see all-star rosters increased to 15 guys. I, I know, you know, generally, um, you know, you, you have these rotations and, you know, 12 guys seems sufficient enough for an all-star roster, but you start to dig a little deeper. And, and then look, Alex and Justin, I, I take a look at records. And, and I think that, you know, the, the players and the media, especially if they're going to dig into it and, you know, if we're given, you know, what, another month or so uh, before starters, are named for, you know, are, are the Pacers still around 500? Are the Cavs still around that third, fourth seed, not too far behind the one and two seeds? And and that's why I wonder, you know, if those guys might get the nod. But I'm certainly not discounting um, the seasons Tyrese Halliburton is having. And, you know, I, I know this is a little bit of an aside, but let, let's go down maybe three, well, two, three seasons. 
when Benedict Matherin has developed even a little bit more or alongside Tyrese Halliburton, that that's going to be one dynamic backcourt there in Indiana. I like the idea of taking the all-star roster and expanding it because over the time since the all-star game was created, NBA rosters have also grown bigger. So I think it kind of reflects more something closer to an actual NBA team. Not that that necessarily has to be the case because I mean, it's not really an NBA game in the same sort of way we watch you know every day of the regular season. But I mean, if you do that, then you can kind of squish down the notion also of, of people just getting eliminated because of this positional thing. If you want to keep the positional thing, I think that's a good good way to kind of mitigate some of the the unintentional outcomes of it. So I know that this podcast is mostly focused on the Eastern Conference, and we're going to get into that very shortly. But I'm just kind of wondering really quickly, like, gun your head, who would we pick for our Western Conference All-Star starters just right off the bat? Jeff, we'll go to you first. Yeah, that's a really fun conversation to have. And again, I try to think of the fan vote um, a little bit right there. And so do I look at it, you know, is LeBron going to get it? You know, LeBron's just a hugely popular player. Um, I know what he's averaging. I also look at the Lakers record. And and so, you know, do I think he's a a starter? Um, He's probably not one of the five best players in the West this year, but you know, given his popularity, he's still producing. I think he gets in there. Um, I also think that if we're looking at it, I think Zion Williamson is getting in there. And then I think your other front court player is going to have to be Nikola Jokic. And, you you know, just amazing that he's going to be in the conversation again for a third consecutive MVP if he continues playing like this. Um, I know Steph is injured. We'll see where he is. But uh, again, taking into consideration how fans vote and his popularity. Uh, But it's going to be really difficult to narrow down that guard spot. If I'm picking, I'm probably leaning toward Luca and Devin Booker um, as my two guards uh, in in that spot. But look, I know that's not going to be easy for people to narrow that down when when you consider how many good guards um, are in the league, but certainly uh, how many good guards are in the Western Conference. AQ, anything to change or add for your starting Western Conference lineup? I would probably look to see somebody new appear in the front court. I wouldn't be surprised if Sabonis made it in there. Uh, And maybe the most interesting story in the entire NBA right now is what the Utah Jazz are doing and what Laurie Markkanen is helping them do, I think, might actually have him as a dark horse starter. He's definitely going to make the all-star team, in my, my opinion. The narrative, I think, is interesting enough that it's not out of the question that he could become a starter, but the name recognition thing is going to be a factor as well. Speaking of name recognition, my current West All-Star starters, I feel like you've got to include the most exciting night-to-night watch in the league in John Morant. That guy is going to get so many fan votes. Uh, I just have a really hard time believing he's not going to make that starting lineup. Uh, I agree with Jokic and Zion. Both of those guys seem like locks. That third spot, you know, the fan vote just always seems to be weighted towards LeBron James with good reason. He is, you know, in the greatest of all time conversation. So I do think he's going to end up locking down that spot with apologies to Sabonis, Markan, and other uh, members of that running. And then, you know, if Steph Curry is healthy, I feel like that last spot is almost certainly his just off the championship bump. If he's not healthy, if he's not playing in the all-star game, I imagine he will win that spot on fan vote, but probably cede it to either Devin Booker or Luka, depending on who the coaches select. Um, But I have a hard time seeing a world where Steph doesn't win that fan vote. Look, you guys talk about having a, uh, you know, relatively fresh faces. Shea Gilgis Alexander, you know, uh, I I know that I'm talking about records, but you know, that, that, that guy is producing night in night out and, you know, it's probably, you know, to the larger extent of, of you know, NBA watchers, they certainly know who he is. But, uh, you know, to, to follow that guy's development over the last couple of years and just to see his improvement and his skill level, um, you know, he's certainly someone that, you know, I think the coaches will recognize, even though Oklahoma City may not have that kind of record that coaches sometimes look at. For sure. So we're going to talk about uh, all-stars, big matchups, and a lot more to come. But first, we're just going to check in with our friends at Bet Online. So 
Bet Online remains your number one source for all sports betting this season on everything from the NFL and bowl season in college to esports to soccer and to everything in between. You will always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. And we're the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite leagues and events. If you have action on the Christmas Day games, head on over to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. That's CLNS50, Bet Online, where the game starts. So speaking of the big Christmas Day games, the Boston Celtics will be participating in one such game. Obviously, they can't overlook tonight's opponent against the Timberwolves. But uh, after that, they are slated to face the Milwaukee Bucks at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Christmas Day. Um, as of late, the Boston Celtics are one and four in their last five, four and six in their last 10, and currently have lost three games in a row. We will have to see how that changes after tonight. Milwaukee, on the other hand, is three and two in their last five, seven and three in the last 10, lost their most recent game, but they have jumped Boston up to the top of the Eastern Conference standings. Jeff, we're going to swing it to you first. What are your expectations for how this game is going to look and play out? Uh, look, I, I, I'm excited to watch this game and see who wins. Um, I, but ultimately, I'm not going to put, you know, some some great significance in saying if Milwaukee wins, they somehow are all of a sudden the favorites. That's something that I'll come to grips with later in the year when we get to the end of the regular season, when we start to see who's playing well in the playoffs. And But look, do I anticipate, given how these teams have started the season, that they're, uh, they're the two best teams in the East? I like the idea that this is a potential conference finals matchup. And, and so that alone is worth checking out. And what we just got done with the all-star conversation where we're talking about the Celtics putting two guys on the roster. We know what Giannis does. Um, I know that in the big picture, they're just generally getting Chris Middleton back um, and working him back into the rotation. And while I realize that, you know, he's not an all-star per se this season, um, he has been an all-star in the past. And so a, a ton of great players, um, both teams, and I think, you know, we talk about whether or not this is news of the day, but news of the season, you know, the job that Joe Missoula is doing as coach of the Celtics under, you know, which started off the year or preseason under difficult circumstances, him taking over. He's done a fantastic job. Mike Boonholzer, former coach of the year. So you have all the components um, right there. Um, I, I told you guys before this started, I'm sort of going to take this, you know, 25,000 foot view. I'm not getting too worked up about the Celtics, you know, as you mentioned, you know, one and four in the last five, four and six. These things happen throughout a regular season. Um, it, it, if you just take a look at maybe the past six, seven games, some guys have been in and out uh, of the lineup. Um, and I, I realize if I'm looking at the numbers, it's the offense that's really suffered during that time. And, you know, again, I hate to sound like, uh, you know, coach speak, but, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of the ball going in, ball not going in. Um, you know, I haven't broken down every game of how teams are playing defensively, but that is one thing that's going to happen as the season goes along for the Celtics is this idea that they're going to get another team's best effort on the regular, whether it's Indiana that, we you know, we just saw. And, and I know I mentioned about their up and coming young guys uh, talking about all-stars and everything. And, and so the Celtics will have to contend with that. But in, in the big picture, I, I'm not worried uh, about this squad just because of, you know, some of the wins and losses in the last 10, however many games we want to look at it. Uh, they're going to be fine throughout the regular season. This is just a fun, entertaining Christmas Day game that a lot of people would love to see this matchup at some point in the playoffs. And I think that would be wonderful. 
So speaking of the matchup, uh, we have got a few players that are potentially not going to see the floor. Um, obviously, for tonight's game, Marcus Smart and Robert Williams are both questionable with a bug that appears to be going around the Celtics locker room. And for Milwaukee, Chris Middleton is doubtful for their matchup with Brooklyn tonight. Also, Giannis Antetokounmpo is dealing with knee soreness, but plans on playing through it. So JQ, what are going to be the most impactful absences or potential um lacks for this matchup like who who will whose presence in the matchup will swing this most likely one way or the other well obviously if Giannis takes the night off it's going to be absolutely massive and it's not out of the question if he is you know dealing with knee soreness that if he's really like bothered by it that he might sit it out but knowing him if he can at any chance on a Christmas day game double national tv it's on ABC and ESPN I'm almost 99.9% sure he's going to play. Uh, I think Chris Middleton will be a a very potentially big swing factor if anyone that you mentioned is. I don't expect Marcus uh, to be out of the game at that point because he's already looking like he's trending. He was in shoot-around today, so I don't expect him to to miss the game. Rob, it's hard to say. Uh, it, It kept Marcus out for more than, I think, I can't remember if it was two games or one game, but he's been sick for a while. He's been on the injury report for, for almost a week now. So it doesn't seem like something, whatever it is that's going around, it doesn't seem like something that's going to be uh, quick. It's not like a head cold or something like that. Whatever it is that's going around is definitely something impactful. But realistically, I think that, um, you know, I agree with Jeff that this is not going to be an indictment on either team, but it will be interesting to see how Joe uh, plans on coaching the Celtics and uh, facing up against Milwaukee Bucks, whether he kind of leans into that thing that they did last season when they when they faced him in the playoffs with two bigs or if he's going to try to shoot their way through them based on what we've been seeing lately I'm a little nervous that that might be the case but if they do approach the game and the aggressive defense we've been seeing deployed against the Celtics that have been has been having a pretty good effect against their offense uh if that is the case then this could end up being a blowout for the Celtics or it could end up being blowout the other way depending on which version of the Celtics we see So, Jeff, both of these teams have made some substantial additions since they last met for the Boston Celtics. Obviously, there is the big Malcolm Brogdon trade that they made. Um, They also signed Blake Griffin and have elevated Sam Hauser into a much more significant role than he was in the previous matchup. Um, For Milwaukee, obviously, they drafted Marjan Beauchamp, who is on the roster for them. And their big offseason acquisition was Joe Ingles, who... I believe is now back from his injury and slated to play in this matchup. Um, do who do you think will be the most high impact addition on one side or the other from when we last saw these teams play? For me, it's Malcolm Brogdon, who the Bucks have uh, a, a lot of knowledge about uh, him having played there. Um, I think he got his first big extension um, when he was still with the Bucks. Um, ultimately. When he left, I, I think that really became a money situation um, for the Milwaukee Bucks. I, I know every owner likes to think that they're going to pay the luxury tax um, if they have a team that can compete for a championship. Um, but but ultimately, I, I, every owner, except perhaps the group that owns the Warriors, uh, you know, have their limit uh, at some point on the luxury tax. And ultimately, it works out for the Bucks. They get their point guard who they wanted in a Drew Holiday deal. Uh, they ended up winning a championship. So you, you're certainly not going to argue about anything um, the Bucks did. Um, I, I thought Brogdon and, you, you know, you guys will have, again, that sort of uh, microscopic um, view. Um, you know, I thought he would end up finishing games a lot on the court, uh, even though he's not a starter. I know a lot of people sort of penciled him in as a, a potential six man of the year, um, but certainly appreciate Malcolm Brogdon's calm patience on the court uh you know it doesn't seem like a whole lot bothers that guy and it seems like he's got a really good sense of settling a team in and getting them settled uh and start uh you know running offense and you know there are times where they can certainly go to him as well so for me that guy in this matchup is malcolm brogdon for sure and what about for you jq not too much to add to that. Uh, I do think that, you know, there was some criticism of their offseason, uh, the, the Bucks, uh, uh for not doing too much. And I think that Marjan Beauchamp has been kind of the wing that they were actually looking for, for like a reserve, you know, off the bench guy, just, you know, couple throw a couple threes in, defend at a high level, and that sort of a thing. 
if we do end up seeing Donald Gallinari come back, uh, expect what we've been seeing from Joe Ingles early. He's played, I think, two games so far, and he's barely done anything. Uh, and he's just he's, he's very he's pretty early coming back from an ACL. Uh, he's around the same age, uh, very similar shot profile, uh, style of play. So you basically get a, a, a center really back uh, who can do a little bit of shooting. And I don't think that either of them, if they do you know, have any kind of significant role, at least for, for Ingles in the short term, I don't expect too much from him in this game. And interesting to watch with some of these new additions. Um, Brogdon was great to start the season, but has kind of tailed off in recent weeks. Blake Griffin seems like a player who can play once every four games or so and make an impact, but probably shouldn't be out there that much. Um, I think with Joe Ingles, obviously, as you kind of just mentioned, it's going to take a little bit of time for him to get reintegrated and playing NBA basketball at a high level again. He's a good vet, but his mobility was still dropping in Utah even before he got hurt. So um, I think he can probably play a limited role. I don't expect that they would be relying on him for a major role. Beauchamp is interesting to me because I really liked his draft profile, and I'm a little bit surprised that he's not playing more for a Milwaukee team that is elite defensively but still can get stuck in the mud on offense. And, you know, if there's anything that Milwaukee has kind of lacked in their recent runs, and, you know, obviously they won a title two years ago, so they haven't liked that much. But um, the kind of additional bench shot creation, particularly when Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are not on the floor, Milwaukee's bench offense has really struggled at times. And I feel like Beauchamp seems like the guy who should be kind of in there to try and spark that. But you never know. Um, so we're talking about some of the smaller names. But, you know, the reason that people are watching this matchup is because of the bigger names. In this case, um, there are some MVP leaders that are going to be in this game. Obviously, Giannis Antetokounmpo, former back-to-back MVP and perennial MVP candidate, as well as Jason Tatum, who I think is kind of making his first real run for MVP this year. Last year, there was a little bit of buzz. Don't think he was ever really going to win it. This year, he is a genuine candidate. So... In the battle of the MVP leaders, who is at the top for you right now, Jeff? Man, that's a, a really tough question. And, and you know, I, this has always been an interesting conversation for me because I, I sometimes worry as a whole, and it's just not the media, a lot of people do it, that we start to build these narratives in maybe the first quarter of the season, first third of the season, and then those narratives are, are sort of hard to escape. And, and, you know, it makes it difficult for some to take a, you know, a big picture view when we get to the end of the season, you know, late or I'm sorry, mid-April when, you know, people start having to turn in their votes um, to the league office. Um, and then I also get caught up in the dynamic of there's only been one player since the media started voting for MVP that has won three consecutive MVPs, Larry Bird with the Boston Celtics. Um, I know Bill Russell in Wilt also won three in a row. However, that was when the peers, their, their players, other players were voting for MVP. And, and so I think that's going to be a real interesting dynamic when you start to look at Nikola Jokic's numbers and what happens if Denver is a number one or a number two seed in the West. And, you know, and, he, and he's putting up these numbers. He, he won't have the same scoring numbers because um, Jamal Murray is getting some points. And, and I know he hasn't played a little bit lately, but Michael Porter Jr., when he's on the court, um, he takes some of that away. And, and so I think there's a whole list of guys we should be looking at. And I, I'm afraid as I sit here and talk to you guys that, that I'll miss someone. Jason Tatum, you know, certainly on that list. Nikola Jokic, certainly on that list. We mentioned him earlier in the way, you know, I, I know it's not news of the day, but to me it's sort of news of the season. The way the Brooklyn Nets have rebounded from what looked like it was going to be a disastrous season. And Kevin Durant is, is just putting up the kind of numbers that he does. Um, I think we're also going to have to take a look at what Donovan Mitchell is doing in Cleveland with that squad um, as well. I know early on he was sort of carrying um, the Warriors. Um, I I don't think Steph will be in the running um, by the end of the year, but he's certainly someone 
you know, that early on taking a look at. Let's continue talking about a team that finishes up near the top of the standings. What are we going to do with Zion Williamson in, in this race, especially if New Orleans continues to play the way they play? He's going to be really, really difficult um, to ignore on that front. And, and so those are a couple, you know, just off the top of my head, um, you know, who I think are going to be deserving. Uh, and I'm trying to run through Devin Booker. I, I don't know how much he complained. And, and sometimes I have an issue with this, you know, when players say they're not getting the respect, I, you know, look, people thought he was one of the five best players in the league last year. First team, all NBA. I don't think anyone's overlooking Devin Booker. Where does John Morant um, fit on this? Um, especially if Memphis is going to continue to play well. I know people love to bring up uh, Luca. He has raised his three point shooting um, over the past maybe month or so. When I caught up with the Mavs, I, I think he was just at 30%, uh, maybe just a tad um, under. And, and then obviously the aforementioned Giannis, who's won a couple times as well. So, uh, again, I know that's a lot of names, but I, I think those are all names worth looking at and worth paying attention to. And I just think. You know, maybe the past few seasons when we've sort of emerged from a, you know, uh, the, the sort of when Steph and LeBron, James Harden, Russell were winning it. Um, I, I just think MVP gets a, a lot harder um, each year because there are so many great players in the league. And, and now so many of those great players are also playing on teams that are at the top of their standings in their conferences. And, you, you know, look, I used to think, and I still think this, you know, most improves a really difficult award to vote on. You know, is he improved because he got more minutes, more opportunities, taking more shots? Did he really become better? You really need to dig into that. But I think this MVP vote, the way things, uh, you know, are shaping up right now, is going to be really difficult for people to put one through five uh, in order when we get to April. Anything we missed there, JQ? Uh I do agree in particular with this whole narrative thing, kind of concretizing the like lanes that we think of who is reasonably going to be in the MVP conversation, particularly in the top two or three. For example, uh, it might be sacrilegious for me to say this on the Celtics podcast, but Tatum uh, being the runaway favorite very early in the race, as soon as it was basically socially acceptable to talk about it at all. Um, might not be the most accurate thing right now, because for me, I think Giannis has been performing at a higher level and making a bigger impact for his team, playing through more and really doing an overall more important role for his team in terms of winning and gaining ground on the Celtics in particular. Uh, he's poised to kind of snatch it away from kind of a really visceral manner uh, on Xmas Day. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how that affects the narrative. I don't think it should affect affect the narrative, but I think we we know that the 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 narrative is going to shift if the Bucks come away with a win, and it really shouldn't, right? That shouldn't be the the thing that changes things. Well, I mean, listen, if we're trying to divorce ourselves from the narrative and just lock into the numbers and objective measures of who should be the MVP, folks, I got news for you. Nikola Jokic is headed for his third straight MVP. If we're just going on the numbers, Nikola Jokic has been the best player in the NBA this year. And like narrative is a critical part of the NBA award season. Narrative always determines this. And that's exactly why I don't think Nikola Jokic is headed for his third straight MVP. But if we just want to do the numbers, he's been the best player by the numbers. And it's pretty hard to argue otherwise, as good as Giannis, Tatum, and Durant have been. Um, so the Christmas Day game is what we've been talking about. That's been kind of the highlight of the Celtics schedule um, coming up. But afterwards, there are more games to be played. Of course, there is also the Timberwolves tonight, which again, we cannot look over, even though we are looking over them now. Um, there are more games coming afterwards. Speaking of the back-to-back the -back MVP winner, Nikola Jokic, the Celtics will be playing him three games after they take on the Milwaukee Bucks on Christmas. In between those dates, they've got battles with the lowly Houston Rockets and the Los Angeles Clippers, who arguably kickstarted the Celtics' recent woes in some ways. Um, so before, after that, they kind of drop into a fairly even mix of opponents. Um, let's just chunk off this kind of upcoming five-game stretch. So we've got the Timberwolves tonight. We've got uh, Milwaukee on Christmas, and after that, we've got Houston, the Clippers, and the Nuggets. 
Jeff, we're going to swing it to you. What does a successful record look like for these next five games for Boston? I understand the way the Celtics have been playing and teams gearing up on them defensively, sort of limiting what they do offensively. These are all home games, if I'm looking at the schedule uh, correctly, except for that Denver game. Um, but we get to, you know, let's see here, the Timberwolves, Bucks, Rockets, Clippers, at Nuggets. So I got those, look, four and one, three and two. Let, let's, let, you know, let, let, let's just say they lose Christmas Day and they lose at Denver, which I, I don't think is going to be any great shame uh, to come away with that three and two. Um, it all, um, you know, you take care of business against the Timberwolves. Uh, the Rockets, the Clippers, and, and then, you know, as I sort of mentioned, in a best-case scenario, you end up 4-1. and one. Um, You know, a- after that, I, I think that's going to be a real nice mark. And what's that put them at? 26-11. and 11. If that's the case, then, you know, I, I think you tell the Celtics, you know, after we, you know, celebrate New Year's Eve, play the Nuggets on uh, New Year's Day, and we're 26-11, and 11, um, I, I think that's a record that, uh, you, you know, the, the Celtics would have easily signed up for uh, in September. JQ, anything to add there? What does success look like for you on these next five games? Uh, in context, I think anything that's 3-2 or better uh, would be successful. Acceptable is 2-3. I think anything worse than that uh, is a cause for concern. Uh I wouldn't say a huge cause for concern as long as we get at least one win in there. Houston, I'm looking at you, but as long as they can pull at least two wins out of, out of that, that stretch, I don't think people should be too upset. It's a really tough stretch. It may be at home, but three of those five teams are arguably title contenders. So I'm going to zag the other way and say that if the Celtics take themselves seriously as title contenders, they should go for four and one or better in this stretch. They've had a rough patch as of late, in part due to the fact that they've been missing players. The lineup has been kind of awkward and mishmash with a lot of Blake Griffin here and a lot of Malcolm Brogdon there. If this team is healthy, they should be looking to go at least four and one in this stretch. They've got a Denver team that they beat earlier in the year pretty soundly. Milwaukee is their biggest op. They've got to take them out if they want to win the Eastern Conference and ultimately the title. Make a statement on Christmas Day. As for the rest of those opponents, the Clippers got the Celtics pretty badly on their road trip out west. I'm hoping they will be itching for some revenge there. Houston, come on. If the Celtics are losing to the Houston Rockets, they've got much bigger problems. Houston is barely even a team. And the Minnesota Timberwolves have been all sorts of disarray with this Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns pairing that kind of seems like it's not working all that well in spite of what is a pretty talented and well-coached roster. The Celtics want to be a title team. They should start acting like it and go four and one or better in this stretch. I like it. So um, trends to watch in the Eastern Conference as the Celtics try and make their claim on that conference. We don't need to talk about each team here, but Jeff, we thought we'd give you, since you're coming in with the kind of 30,000 foot perspective, what are you seeing in terms of risers and fallers in the Eastern Conference? And is there anything worth keeping an eye on there? Yeah. So again, I know we focused a lot of attention at the top of the standings and and then I'll throw Cleveland because as we stand on this conversation, they're just a game back. I think it's that next bunch of teams. Again, I mentioned how surprising I thought Brooklyn has been when, you know, we we thought that had a huge potential for disaster given everything that was going on uh, with that squad in, in, you know, late October, early November. Um, I think the Sixers are that, another team if we're starting to see you know well we are seeing the MVP play from Embiid and we're seeing James Harden you know probably figure things out a little bit and and then look I am surprised with the New York Knicks um you know I don't need to mention many more teams the other team I'd sort of keep an eye on I know this isn't a a trade trade deadline conversation per se I thought the Raptors at this point would be a little bit higher in the standings I, I know sometimes there's a little you know you know, are they on the same track age-wise with Scotty Barnes and having a, a older group that's won a title with, you know, Freddie Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam? I know OG wasn't playing. Um, it'll be really interesting to me to see if the Raptors are sellers or buyers, because uh, I think that can go either way. In fact, you sometimes hear that um, right now. And, and so those are some of the teams I'm really keeping my eye on. Uh, and, and I guess I'll throw an honorable mention, uh, you know, 
is there some agreement that, you know, we're starting to see something from the Orlando Magic um, a, a little bit, the way they've drafted, made moves the past couple of seasons. Um, and, and then, you know, I think it's been an entertaining and enjoyable story to see Bull Bull, you know, turn into a serviceable NBA player and do some things I think Denver thought he would do for them. And, and so th- those are my teams I'm looking at in the East. And I'll, I'll let you guys um, sort of hammer on anything else in the East or anything else in the West you want to tackle. JQ, you're up first. So in terms of teams that are rising, I, I reserve the right to credit the Nets. Uh, they do look a lot better, but they do also kind of have their own uh, auto self-destruct buttons kind of all over themselves, so to speak. Uh, so if it lasts for a little bit longer, I'll start to believe it a little bit more. I do think the Sixers are, are treading the right direction. Uh, I'm not so sure about the Knicks because it's very defense and effort oriented and Tibbs is great for getting that out of them until he isn't. So we'll we'll see how the Knicks are doing. I believe that the, the Heat are also going to be getting a little bit better. Uh, whether or not they make any moves, I think is going to be key to whether they actually do anything this season. I think they want to. I don't know if they can. Uh, the Magic, I'm... I think they're a lot better team than a lot of people expected or believed for the reasons you you laid out, Jeff. I don't know if that's going to be enough to matter in terms of like making, making any kind of postseason noise, even in the playing game, but we'll see. Uh, they seem to be pretty motivated by Eddie house uh, calling them, I think a trash organization or something to that effect. It was definitely good bulletin board material and they, they put it to work against the Celtics uh, in a very painful way to watch. Uh, as far as other things in the other direction, um, I think and we can get into this in a second, that Detroit, uh, Charlotte, and maybe even Toronto might start thinking about selling off some parts. I would be surprised if Toronto does that just because of the fact that, as you kind of hinted, I think that they could move on from some of their older players. I think they want to move on from some of their older players because they don't fit the, the age curve. And the current age curve kind of spread out between two two different tracks, the way that the Celtics had some trouble, I think, in 2018-19. I think that that's a mistake to keep with that too long. So I think they're going to try to consolidate for some younger guys, some draft picks, whatever they can get out of Fred Van Vliet, who I think his contract is ending, and Siakam, uh, who is just realistically, he's a little too old for the rest of the core. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch what some of those teams do. Um, There is one team that we haven't mentioned that I think is worth uh, kind of touching on, which is the Atlanta Hawks, who have been careening down the Eastern Conference standings and seem to be all sorts of messed up right now. Um, There's a lot of murmurs coming out that Trey Young and coach Nate McMillan are not seeing eye to eye. John Collins is, of course, perpetually in trade rumors. And it seems like their big gambit on DeJounte Murray has paid off from a statistical performance. I think Murray is kind of in the fringes of all-star consideration as he has been for the past few years or so. But in terms of their record, it seems like this team is trending the opposite direction. Any thoughts on what's going on in Atlanta before we move on? Yeah, I'll hit that just real quick. Look, they made a change in their front office as well. Travis Schlenk going into an advisory role to ownership and former NBA player Landry Fields now running basketball operations from the general manager's perspective. I know you mentioned the John Collins. You know, I was having this conversation with another writer and, you know, we were talking about, you know, the idea that the Hawks want to move John Collins for a shooting big. And I thought, well, John Collins is a shooting big. Um, but if you start to look at his numbers, um, you, you know, he, he's really suffered in that three-point shot, uh, you know, over the past few seasons. And, and, and you know, it, it, is that a manifestation of the way the Hawks play under Nate McMillan as opposed to how they were playing under Lloyd Pierce um, as well? Um, and, you know, you certainly is worth keeping an eye on that situation. That This is, you know... We know when this happens, if it's Trey Young, or let's not single out Trey, if it's the star versus coach, you know, it's going to be much easier for Landry Fields to pull the trigger on getting a new coach than it is moving an all-star like Trey Young, even though Trey probably needs some responsibility um, for his play or needs to take account for some of his play as well this season. And and so the Hawks will be interesting. And I, I know we just talked about, again, um, you know, whether what teams are going to do and I think this will be part of a, a conversation we'll have in a second, you know, teams are really watching the wizards to see if Kuzma Porzingis 
and Rui Hachimura are available uh, to some degree in a deal. Uh, and, and they've just, the Wizards have had just such a tough stretch of basketball lately. They've really been an enigma uh, for quite some time. It's what they are actually trying to do is very hard to read. I'm wondering if uh, the kind of ceiling of the Knicks in their current form, uh, I've had a couple of friends talking about the idea that if Trey were really to become unhappy with Atlanta, that those would be two good partners, good fits, better fits really than I think that they are now for, for how they play. Jalen Jalen Brunson being the the returning uh, from New York. That would be quite a storyline to have Trey Young, the arch nemesis of Garden fans, come and be a full-time resident there in New York City. Um, So let's get into some of these kind of teams really quickly that are on the fringes of kind of blowing it up and formally throwing their hats into the brick for Vic sweepstakes. Um, Obviously, you've got your usual suspects like Houston, Detroit, Charlotte, and San Antonio. Um, And there's a couple of teams that have been mentioned as well, Chicago, Washington, Toronto, that are not doing super hot and have been rumored as teams that might kind of more formally go for this. But there are some teams in here that I think are a little bit surprising to maybe some listeners that we've been considering as possible stealth tank teams. Um, Jeff, I'm going to turn it to you and particularly wondering about some of these kind of lesser teams in the Western Conference, some teams that maybe have playoff aspirations but don't appear to be headed towards them. Is it possible that we could see a marquee team such as a Dallas or a Lakers or, God forbid, even a defending champion Golden State Warriors start to get a little bit more tanky maybe after the All-Star break? So Golden State's an interesting one. I think we'll have to see, you know, what kind, how how long Steph ultimately is out, where they are at that point. But we know this: while they've done a great job drafting at certain points, um, they really have struggled to get some of their, you know, Jordan Poole notwithstanding. Um, but the James Wiseman, the Moses Moody, uh, they have some had some trouble. Now they've basically been picking later in the draft. Um, I, I get all that. And Jordan Poole is certainly one of those late draft success stories. Um, so let, let's see where they are. The, from what I'm hearing on the you know trade talks is Golden State wants to make the playoffs. So they're looking for a move um, at the trade deadline that would put them in the mix. Um, Dallas is going to have to start looking. They, they're trying over and over again to find that Batman. Or I'm sorry, that Robin DeLuca's Batman. And, and they quite haven't done it. Um, just yet. I I will say this. I think this is the interesting thing uh, about the Lakers and it involves the Pelicans is the Pelicans own that draft pick. And so when you get down to seeing what the Lakers do, if they're losing games, that only helps the Pelicans either get that draft pick or use it in some kind of trade. You know, think if that falls somewhere between, you know, six and 12, um, that that's a wonderful asset for the Pelicans who are improving and, and can use that to trade for a player to get. And, and so those are some of the teams um, that I'm going to be paying attention to, um, you know, maybe a little outside of, of the norm. I'm a little disappointed. I thought Detroit, the way they finished the second half of last season would be a little bit better, but they're certainly in that line uh, for having, you know, the best lottery odds, Charlotte has been hit with some injuries and they're still, uh, you know, reeling from the Miles Bridges situation. He's not back on the court. Um, and, and so that's another team. And again, how about if I'm talking about Orlando improving? You know, they're not that far out of a playing spot, but they're also not that far from the bottom of, of the standings as well. And, and so those are the teams I'll be watching. And then you guys mentioned it as well. I think Chicago is going to be really interesting. Um, you know, do they move Zach Levine? Do they move DeMar DeRozan? and really start uh, another rebuild uh, there. And, you know, the, if, if they make that those deals before the trade deadline, uh, we, we can start to get an idea that they want to be in the mix uh, for that lottery pick as well. JQ, any teams you're looking at on Tank Watch with some extra special eyes? I do think that Minnesota is another team that we should, we should talk about. Uh, I think that we might be being a little premature given how much the front office wanted to change how that team plays, that it might take them a little bit more time and that they might actually get to be kind of good. They might, they might not realistically, you know, try to strip it down that way. Uh, I don't think the dubs are going to tank for the reasons that Jeff mentioned, because 
they have, I think, finally recognized that they have some some really special players on their roster. Not that, but the the two track thing that we've been talking about earlier in this podcast uh, elsewhere doesn't really work very well. It didn't work for the Celtics. It just it's very hard to develop and win at the same time. So I think they're going to try to move on from those players if they can. The question is, um, have they damaged the reputations of them more so than they probably realistically should be because of how they've been used? Uh, so it may be kind of hard for them to find a good partner, at least one well enough to to really make it worth grinding on what's left of the legs of their older players. Uh, I think Orlando is almost certainly going to end up trying to tank, uh, even though, as we hinted, there's a good chance that they could make the plan. And, you know, it would be good for their for their team. Another, even if it's not one of the top four picks, uh, another good young player would be really good for the rebuild. I don't think Chicago is going to do anything because they don't get their pick unless the top four pick. They might they might strip strip some stuff down to kind of rebalance the roster and maybe get some assets out of it while they're at it. But I don't think there's anything too much going on there. Washington, again, I think for me remains the big enigma. I think it's going to be the linchpin for what a lot of teams end up deciding to do. You know, we got through an entire tanking segment and we failed to mention the one team that I think might be the most likely to stealthily sneak into this tank rig tank race. It's none other than Sam Presti's Oklahoma City Thunder. I think the agenda is set in stone. Let's get Shea Gilgis Alexander into the All-Star game. And then if he comes up with a mysterious injury shortly into February, who's to say? Sam Presti works in mysterious ways. That's all I'm going to leave you with there. Um, We have a couple other just kind of short news items that we want to get into to wrap things up with Jeff here. Um, And we're going to start actually with you, Dr. Quinn. So um, obviously you are based in Mexico City and recently the Mexico City uh, arena had some NBA action going on. Uh, You want to just kind of take us through what was going on in the Mexico City games lately? Sure. So it was the Miami Heat versus the San Antonio Spurs, just to set the table for you guys who are probably not paying tons of attention to that sort of thing, this being a Celtics podcast. Uh, if you remember uh, my, the Miami Heat listing everyone on the team on the injury report, this was the game that that happened. I think I got a chuckle out of Spo by asking him uh, if he felt okay with uh, having a team available to play. Uh, Popovich had some nice words for Romeo. Evidently, he is getting some more playing time there. And much like we saw with Aaron Neesmith the other night, is starting to impact winning for them, which is not exactly what they want to do, uh, you know, in pursuit of a high draft pick. But uh, it's good for the development of a guy who has barely seen the floor, as Celtics fans know pretty well. Uh, Josh Richardson did not make the trip because reasons. I'm not really sure what happened there. They didn't give me uh, any kind of an explanation as far as that goes. So it might have been just like personal reasons of some sort. Uh, Max Drews, uh related that he is a big uh, Joe Missoula fan, both coming from Division II schools originally and both carving out a career for themselves in this league. And uh, I think I might have gotten Jason Tatum accidentally sent another pick of the block of Bam Adebayo on him by asking him if he speaks to Tatum about uh, their defensive player of the year and MVP cases. Most interestingly, I think for me, besides the one thing I think we'll, we'll – uh, tee things up uh, for general conversation with was that Adam Silver spoke at length about the incidents with the Spurs, the Detroit Pistons and the Boston Celtics. Of course, Ime Odoka being the chief among those that's really sparked off all of the fun PR disasters for the NBA so far this season about how they are, you know, in, in conversation with experts on how to improve the best practices on a team by team basis to kind of prevent this uh, uh, kind of thing from being such a big deal in the future, which is really good news. Uh, he was very diplomatic and politician-like about it, kind of uh, not, I won't say dodging because he was very, very um, trying to field multiple questions on a very uncomfortable topic, but uh, more transparency regarding this, I think, would be really, really important uh, for the league in general. He also, uh, and Jeff commented on this on Twitter, which sparked uh, our, our talking about this uh, podcast in the first place, uh, the idea of expansion here in Mexico City, which uh, I should open the floor for you all to talk about. Yeah, so Jeff, I'm curious. Um, you had some thoughts on Mexico City expansion as a possibility. And you know, with our last question here, I'm wondering if you could take us through, what do you see coming as far as expansion for the NBA and how does it involve Mexico City? 
the, the more I've been asking questions about this, the, the more I'm sort of sold on this is that the league is really serious about expansion to Mexico City, but I don't think it's among their first couple of options. Um, of all the things that, you know, Justin is talking about, you have a huge population in Mexico City, probably if you include the metropolitan area, the, the largest population in North America, somewhere around 24 million people. You have a, and Justin would be able to address this better, but what the league thinks is close to an NBA ready arena. Uh, they believe in uh, some streaming revenue rights and they love the idea of a gateway deeper into South America, such as Brazil, Argentina. And then let's just look at the sale price recently or the valuation of the Phoenix Suns. If you're talking about a expansion fee of approximately $4 billion, let's just say we're going to start off with two expansion teams, $8 billion, you know, separate, you know, split up among the other 30 teams. And, and so, look, I do think if I'm sort of projecting Seattle and Las Vegas becoming the first expansion cities in this era, but I'm not discounting whether it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, the idea of uh, the NBA having a 33rd team. Um, and they've played with an odd number of teams before, but that's how serious I think they are. Uh, I, I don't think this is, I, I put it this way, this is not the carrot that David Stern dangled about European expansion for years and years and years, and we all contemplated how that's going to work. I think this is much more serious than that, and that's why I think there's a strong possibility that you know, after Las Vegas in Seattle, that at some point the league really digs into Mexico City. And, and if there would be a 33rd expansion team, that's where I would look. Um, and if you just take Adam Silver's quick comments that, you know, they've expanded to the north outside of the United States, uh, it only makes sense to look south and that they continue to invest and play there. Uh, including at the grassroots level, which Justin knows about the Global Academy, Latin America there in Mexico City. There's not only the grassroots perspective, there's the you know multi-billion dollar business that the NBA is involved with. And they look at that as a revenue stream as well. All right, Jeff. Well, we appreciate having you on the Celtics Lab podcast. It's been really fun talking about the East, about expansion, about All-Star and everything in between. That's Jeff Zilgit of USA Today. And we're going to leave you with one final question to roll out on. So um, here at the Celtics Lab podcast, we really like even numbers. We are not a big fan <laughs> of odd numbers. We're looking for 18 banners, not 17. You get the drift. So if you were to pick for not 33 teams, but adding a fourth expansion team, where would your four expansion teams be? At that point, I would, again, there's going to be a bunch of U.S. cities that try to get um, into the mix. Um, you know, you, you often hear about Louisville and Kansas City. Um, I, I would rule those two out. I would think that the NBA would take another look uh, in Canada, whether it be Montreal, um, Vancouver, um, and seeing if they can make those markets work. Again, we know what happened in Vancouver. Um, I'm not sure people felt there was enough time dedicated to that. And, and so if we're talking 34th, um, I, I would look to a, a Canadian city before um, a, another U.S. city. That would be my sort of short answer on that one. But uh, again, I know there are lots of U.S. cities uh, that think they could host an NBA team. JQ, 34 teams. What are the new four? Well, I do think that Jeff is right. I know the league has been sniffing around Montreal, for example, uh, for its viability as well. Vancouver, I think, was a market that wasn't quite ready for an NBA team before they got wise down the Memphis Grizzlies, thus the strange name. But for me, I think if it was going to be a, a team that was not in Canada, then it would be in one of the other historic NBA cities that formerly housed an NBA team, Rochester. Just kidding, St. Louis. Uh, well, JQ, I'm so sorry to tell you that we cannot allow a St. Louis team uh, in the I NBA for obvious reasons. <laughs> that would not be a prop. That would not be okay with me or uh, Adam Silver or anybody else. Um, if we're doing four teams, Seattle, Vegas, Mexico City seem like obvious ones. So I would add a fourth team in the hometown of Nashville. I just think Nashville is so primed for an NBA city. And I think it could be a fun interstate rivalry to have the Grizzlies be competing for turf 
against uh, another Nashville-based team. You know, that, I think players would love to travel there. You know, income tax is super low. I, I, I think that would just be such an easy market for them to crack into. Anyway, um, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Jeff, so much for being here. We really appreciate having you on. Um, and as always, if you like what you heard, please give us a like, subscribe, and follow for Celtics Lab on all social media handles and on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to get those likes and listens. So thank you very much. Appreciate it, folks. Have a good one. Happy holidays. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.